Philosophy in the modern West, as it calls itself, distinguished religion from science. Religion was mythical and science dealt with facts. That was the ideology. Postmodern Western philosophy now concedes that science itself is a myth. In fact, a jumble of myths that do not cohere. And they are no less mythical than religion. No more factual <clears throat> than, in fact, there are no ultimate facts. And that if you press a scientist about any theory, whether it's, take Darwin's theory of evolution and you press it back to the origin of life, the theory cannot account for that origin. In the same way that the Big Bang theory cannot account for the origin of the universe. The scientists will tell you, yes, we, we're pretty sure that the universe was once entirely a single point of infinitely condensed matter that exploded. And, and if you asked uh, the scientists, well, but how did the whole universe get contracted into a little tiny point? You won't have an answer to that. And why did it explode when it did? You can't even talk about when because there's no time. But there's no answer. When it comes to ultimate questions, science has no answer to them. It has to presume an origin but it doesn't even attempt to account for it because it cannot account for anything ultimate because that would be religion. And so science, by its own terms, is not even successful as a myth because at least religion can say, well, God did it. Okay? Now you can say, well, how did God come about? And, and you'll have to still say, well, it's an ultimate mystery but at least you are taken to a plane of reality that transcends this one, whereas science is contracted to the phenomenal world. But if, in fact, there's no difference between religion and science, and if they are both uh, mythological constructs, then it's important to understand what myth is. And as uh, Joseph Campbell has explained very clearly in all of his works. Myth is metaphor. But what is it that's being metaphorized? And the answer that all the great sages of both East and West have given is that the only thing that can be metaphorized is what we are, which is consciousness. So then if you're going to understand the myth, let's say, of the Big Bang, you have to understand it as being a metaphor for your own consciousness that went through a Big Bang, an explosion. And what that explosion is, is an explosion of language. And prior to language, there are no concepts and therefore no differentiations and therefore no universe. Consciousness is in its state of pure essence, which is the absolute. Now, both East and West are in agreement about this. And both of them are, in effect, Advaitin philosophies. 
they will both accept that there is non-duality, that everything you can say about the world is a myth. Your entire ego is a myth. Freud discovered that, and, and they have never uh, turned back about that. In fact, they've learned more and more about the mythical construction of the ego. And the ego then constructs its world, and everyone therefore lives in a different world, because each of us live in our own private myth. And that's why there's no communication, really, between two people, except to the extent that they can share the same myth. Whether it's a religious myth, or a scientific myth, or a family myth, or whatever. And to the extent that they can share that myth, they can feel understood. But they all know that it's only a myth, and that that myth consigns you to a certain place in a certain symbolic order which makes use of it, you for its agenda, its purposes. Whether it's a political myth or a family myth, there are always these assigned roles. And uh, if the society or the family is dysfunctional, then the myth is going to produce neurosis or psychosis or some other kind of symptoms of suffering. Those are the kinds of myths that we have today. So the question is, how do we get beyond myth? If all language is in its own essence mythical, then the production of concepts and theories about reality just create more and more complex myths. If even science can only produce another form of religion, and if all of our egoic thinking produces only a myth that is predetermined by the family system and the social system, etc., then we're trapped in a prison of mythological thinking that only gets us deeper and deeper into illusion. Now, the difference between East and West is simply this. The West has chosen illusion. It says we know it's illusion. We know that the real is prior to language and is in that state of pure being, but we're not interested in that. Even though my ego makes me unhappy, even though it's dysfunctional, I prefer having that ego to not having it. And that's the entire choice of the Western mind. It prefers its suffering. It likes its ego. It likes its myths. Even if it's a myth which causes you not to like your ego, you like having an ego you don't like, rather than having no ego at all. Okay? So the West has chosen the side of Maya knowing that it's Maya. It's not a blind, stupid choice. It's, an, it's a, 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 a choice with eyes wide shut, you could say. To use the title of a not very good movie. <laughs> <laughs> but the eyes are, are wide shut because they are recognizing that they are living in a myth, not in the real, and choosing to stay in that mythology, even though they recognize that the myth is leading to the destruction of the real world that we're in, and that we can't save it because to save it we would have to shatter the myth. And the myth is more important than our real existence in the world. This is the great tension that's now going on in the so-called developed countries. They're really only countries that have developed their mythology to the point of psychosis, but so be it. Now, in the East, they have chosen the real. 
they have said, wait a minute, we know this myth is the death drive. It's suicidal. It is Maya that will ultimately produce uh, your, your destruction because that's the destiny of all karma. And the only way to free yourself from that and to live in bliss is to uh, deconstruct all myths, to live free of myth, which means living free of thought. That's the choice that Sri Ramana Maharshi made. A different use of the intelligence, not to produce a mythology about the world, science, religion, etc., or a mythology about one's own consciousness, the ego, no, but to transcend all mythological thinking. That's a choice that's not very popular in the West and even in the East. Although it's given lip service, it's not done by very many people, at least not anymore not since the East has been contaminated by capitalism and materialism and this Western uh, pseudo-progress, pseudo-globalization. It's a globalization of Maya. But nonetheless, there are still in the East pockets of this realization that only by choosing the, the path of not creating and of deconstructing mythology can one return to a state of real intelligence? If you want to develop your intelligence, it's not by going in the development of the mind, because that will only produce more mythology, although you need to develop your mind enough to realize it. Because if your mind is in the lower chakras, it does not have enough self-reflective capacity to even know that its eyes are wide shut. So at least that level of sophistication has been useful to us. But then to really make use of it, we have to make the choice to return to that place which is prior to thought, prior to the big bang of the ego. And from that place, be able to choose a new mythology, if you will, a new world, a new use of the infinite potential that we have lost by being and trained into a mythological construct that has limited that potential. That's what Ramana did, and his own life is a very good example of the fact that he increased his intelligence by stopping the process of thinking, which in the West is inconceivable. But he did it because he chose to transcend the ego, not to stop at a pre-egoic level, but a post-egoic, trans-egoic level in which intelligence functions in a higher way than the secretion of language. So the use of language, which language itself postulates as the highest use of the mind, naturally, that's part of its own egoic inflation, is not really the highest use of the mind. There is a higher use of the mind, and that is to using the power of will to withdraw consciousness back to its origin. And from there, it is, again, prior to the Big Bang, in its infinitesimal point of infinite energy and the potential then to recreate its own universe. So that's what meditation is. It is the expelling of the myth, whatever myth you're living in, and of the thoughts that support that myth, and returning to the source of consciousness and remaining there, collecting all of that energy back into a point of infinite power.
That's the absolute. That's God consciousness. And what makes it difficult to meditate is not that this is an inherently difficult thing to do, but we are caught in a myth that says, I don't want to do that, because that will mean the death of my ego. Okay, And so because we've been trained to, to the choice of living out the ego's mythology, even though it's the creative uh, momentum of our suffering, nonetheless, to retract from that goes against the entire grain of the ego's own raison d'etre. And even though that etre is a false etre, it's not real being, and it's only a state of becoming that never reaches being, because that's the myth. But because it thinks it will reach that being, that mythical being, through the extension of its thought and its desire and the achievement of some potential in this plane, it won't even contemplate returning to the silence that is prior to the ego. That's the, the resistance. The ego cannot contemplate letting go of its own doll that it has created, its own little statuette that it worships. And because the ego is engaged in self-worship, to iconoclastically destroy that object of worship is the ultimate heresy for the ego. And yet that destruction of the ego's own self-image and the thoughts that support it and maintain it is its liberation. So the tragedy of the human condition is that the liberation that is so easy to achieve is something that we cannot imagine doing. We cannot desire doing it because desire itself pushes us in the other direction toward the continuation of our suffering. And so how can an ego whose will is directed toward maya will itself to come out of maya? It can't. This is the impossibility. The ego cannot will its own death. And the only way out of this is the recognition that you are not the ego. And the only way that recognition happens is by sitting long enough without thinking that the intelligence of the buddhi, the real source of our intelligence, which is not the manas, not the mind that chatters to itself, but the awareness behind it gets activated sufficiently to no longer create that spider web of thoughts in which it gets trapped. And by doing that for a sufficient amount of time, one gains the willpower then to refuse uh, to keep that train of thought going and the train can be turned around and brought back to its original station which is the absolute which is Satchirananda okay. so it's a very simple thing to do if you're willing to make the choice not to have any more choice because that's what you're choosing to be in a state of choiceless awareness and in that choiceless awareness, you'll realize there is more freedom than the illusion of freedom of choice, which is actually an enchainment to the pairs of opposites. So let's dare that paradox and reach the bliss that is our true being.